Well, thanks to everyone who's participated this morning for reading and for the tech team, the welcome team, BBC Kids Ministry team. Uh, and there's so many people that are constantly working behind the scenes, our elders and our trustees, a whole bunch of committees. Um, but even beyond that, I hope that in your neighborhoods during this time that you're finding ways to connect and bear witness, be good neighbors uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's so important during this time as well. Well, we are journeying through and coming to the end of Ecclesiastes. How are you doing with it? Are you thrilled with the message of Ecclesiastes? It's, it's a bit of a downer if you read it at the wrong time. And I know when I was a kid, I used to sometimes uh, listen to music that matched my mood. I think I still do it. And my mom would get really, really concerned when she heard certain music playing because she knew that I was kind of down in the dumps. But sometimes it's helpful to have that uh, voice or that music that reflects how we're feeling inside. And sometimes it gives words to those feelings. And I think that's partly why I love Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, there's nothing worse than coming into a group of people, especially church, and they're all happy and they're all clapping and they're all cheerful, and you're just feeling disillusioned and down and uncertain, and you've got to come into that. Do you ever feel that way sometimes coming to church? You just feel like this is just overwhelming for me. It's too much. It doesn't reflect uh, my journey at this point, and somehow now I feel guilty that I'm not like that. Well, that's where Ecclesiastes comes in. It reminds us that within the journey of faith, there is room for questions. There's room for exploration. There's even room for doubts. There's room for even disillusionment. And it's all welcome. You don't have to jump ship just because you have a question or two about life and its meaning and about faith. And so Ecclesiastes does that for it. It gives us um, permission to enter into the difficult parts of the journey. Much like Lamentations gives us permission to enter into our grief. It's all there. It's in Scripture. But I also love it because Ecclesiastes is also disruptive. To our lives. If we take it seriously and if we follow the journey, the idea is that we actually become more disillusioned with the stuff we chase after in life. That the things we feel are so important, hanging on to our work, even hanging on to our families, it's all disrupted in Ecclesiastes as we begin to question every aspect of our life under the sun. So the teacher in Ecclesiastes, it's a figure like Solomon. It might have been Solomon who actually wrote it, but at the very least, we're meant to imagine Solomon as we read through this, because Solomon was uniquely gifted with the opportunity to do this exploration, more than any one of us could ever imagine. He had the time on his hands. It was a peaceful time, right? What else was he going to do? He had the money. I think they estimated Solomon's wealth at like $3 trillion in today's money, something ridiculous like that. He had the means. Oh, I have ladybugs this morning, sorry. Distracted on my page, there's like three ladybugs crawling. I'll just leave them. He had all kinds of opportunity that none of us would ever, ever have. And so this is Solomon. This is who we have in mind as we go through this. And so this teacher explores life under the sun and concludes that it is all what? What's the word we've been learning in Hebrew? Hevel. Hevel. It's all vapor. It's all smoke. And I want to make a distinction here. It's not so much that it's totally meaningless. I know we use that word in our translation. But it's that meaning is hard to hold on to or hard to find because life is so smoky. 
It's so vaporous. Just when things seem to take shape in our lives, suddenly something comes up and blows it away. You ever experienced that? Or just when we think we're holding on to something that's tangible, life slips through our fingers and we can't grasp it. And so life is vapor. It's smoke. It's hard to hold on to, hard to find that meaning. And the reason for that, says the teacher, are at least three things that we encounter in life. And we've gone over this. First of all, the relentless march of time. Time just keeps marching on. It doesn't care whether we're paying attention or not. It doesn't care if we want to slow down. It doesn't care like when we're younger. We want to speed up. I remember being younger and when Christine and I were first getting married, I thought, this is going to be great. We can go out any time of night and our parents aren't going to care because they're no longer in charge of us. And what do we do at night? We sleep. You know, all that freedom that we thought we'd have and now we're just tired. <laughs> so we just sleep. Um, so it's, it's funny how at one stage of life we want it to speed up and another stage of life we want it to slow down. But time doesn't care. Time doesn't care. It just keeps marching on. And once we're gone, it'll march on from one generation to the next and will quickly be forgotten. And he says that makes life hevel. And then he goes on to talk about the inevitability of death, that none of us are getting out of here alive. I'm not talking about today in the sanctuary, uh, but generally in life, we don't get out alive. We're all going to die. We're all going to face that inevitability of death. And then I think this is the most troubling for me, the random nature of life. Why do the wicked prosper, says the psalmist, and the righteous perish? Why does it seem so unfair? Why does it seem so random sometimes? And so all of this, he says, makes life just like chasing after the wind. It's like maybe chasing your tail as a dog, only it's more futile than that. It's chasing after the wind. You can't catch it. You can't grasp it. You can't hold on to it. So then the teacher goes on to explore the question, how then do we live? How do we live life? How do we find some measure of satisfaction in life under the sun if we're facing those three obstacles? So he turns his attention to wisdom and knowledge, remember? He gives himself to something he's really good at. Solomon was known for his wisdom. He's known for his knowledge. He says, I'm going to put my uh, cap on, my studying hat, and, and my professor's robe, and I'm going to give myself to wisdom and knowledge. What does he discover? Does anybody remember? What's the problem with wisdom and knowledge? It's exhausting. It will wear out your soul. Of the making of books, there is no end, and much study wearies the flesh. That's his conclusion. So he says, well, forget that. I'm going to take off my scholar's cap and my professor's robe, and I'm going to put on my party hat, and I'm going to chase after wine, women, and song. Every kind of pleasure I can imagine, because Solomon had the means, remember? And he chases after pleasure, and he discovers what? Pleasure is never satisfied. Just when we have that one great experience, we want to have it again. Or we want to go on to the next thrill, the next high, the next whatever it is that we're chasing. It's so greedy. Pleasure is never satisfied. So he says, well, forget that then. I'll just give myself to my work. And I'll just work my fingers to the bone. I'll build stuff and I'll acquire stuff and I'll gain wealth and I'll get all of this, and I'll have satisfaction in my work. And he almost gets it. He comes really, really close. But then he realizes that when he dies, he has to leave everything to someone else. And that person might be a fool and might squander all this wealth he's worked for. So now, what does he do? He's chased wisdom and wine and work, 
and we could add a few more W's like women and wealth, uh, and he's come up empty. He says, nothing is permanently satisfying. So now we come to the final chapter, the great conclusion that we find in Ecclesiastes that was read for us. And the chapter is split up into two parts to the conclusion. The first part that we read today and we're going to focus on is the conclusion of the teacher. This is his conclusion of life under the sun. What do we do? What's the solution from below the sun? And then next week, we're going to look at the very end conclusion. And this is from the framing narrator, the the second voice in Ecclesiastes. And he's going to give us a different perspective of life beyond the sun. And what does that look like? So let's focus on uh, this end part that the teacher comes up with. And he has this graphic description of old age. Did you catch that? Isn't that? I just find it hilarious when you read through the way he describes getting older. Have a look at it if you have your Bibles open. What does he describe here? He describes cataracts and weak knees and drooping arms. He describes rotting and missing teeth, the grinders, you know. He describes this loss of hearing, but also insomnia. And so at the crack of dawn, suddenly you're awake and you can't get back to sleep. Uh, But you can't really hear the birds because you're going deaf. And he describes fear, the fear of heights, of going up ladders. Some of us have developed that fear because we've fallen off ladders. Right, Kira? But he describes also the fear of being in the street because he's now vulnerable. He describes having white hair. That's the almond tree that blossoms. And so if you're lucky enough to have hair, it turns white or some other kind of color, sometimes a bluey tinge to it for some reason. Uh, Loss of sex drive. All of the signs of aging are wrapped up in this very image-rich kind of poem. It's fascinating. It's also very kind of pessimistic, isn't it? It's a very pessimistic idea of growing old, just getting weaker, and then you die. And then he has um, these cryptic metaphors at the end, the silver cord and the golden bowl and the pitcher, and some people have read way too much especially into the silver cord kind of thing. But I think we're just meant to get the image, the metaphor, and understand that this is a metaphor of death, that we grow old and then we die. And so what's the solution? What does he suggest we should give attention to? How can we find a reason to get up in the morning? Well, here's his answer. Remember your creator. Remember your creator and do it while you're young. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And later on, he says the same thing again. Uh, This this is the solution to his quest to find satisfaction under the sun. Remember your creator and do it while you're young. Why this emphasis on young? Well, it's, it's not so much that do it before you're old and cynical like me or Doug. But do it while you still have energy to enjoy life. Do it while you still have the energy to enjoy all of God's good gifts. In case you're sitting here thinking, well, too late for me. The good news is that 70 is the new 50. Isn't that what they say? So you can declare yourself young at any time. Uh, But this is the point that we want to explore. What does it mean to remember your creator, especially when you're young? Well, there's lots of hints in Ecclesiastes uh, that God is present in life under the sun. I know that sometimes this book is taught uh, from the angle of uh, life without God, 
that the teacher explores life without God, and then at the very end, he understands that God needs to be present. But I, I don't follow that line, because we find God showing up over and over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. God is present in life under the sun. And he's present, especially in the gifts that he provides. So if we follow the gifts, we'll find the giver. That's the idea in Ecclesiastes. Let me read a couple of uh, passages. But really, you could turn to just about any chapter and find words similar to this in Ecclesiastes. In chapter 2, it says this. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? This is from God's hand. There's a, there's a positive aspect. God shows up in life under the sun. Or in chapter 3, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God has planted eternity in the human heart, this longing for something more. And that longing, that desire, is a sign that God has planted it there, right? And he goes on to say, So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. There's that idea of gifts from God. A couple more, and you can do this at home. Uh, anybody can do this. Feel free. This is a safety-approved message. So go home and read through every chapter and find these kind of verses. Chapter 5, and verse 18, I'm going to read it from the message translation. He says, After looking at the way things are on this earth, here's what I've decided is the best way to live. Take care of yourself, have a good time, and make the most of whatever job you have for as long as God gives you life. And that's about it. That's the human lot. Yes, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's, what's given and delighting in the work. It's God's gift. God deals out joy in the present, the now. It's useless to brood over how long we might live. I love that. There's part of the answer. Enjoy God's good gifts now. And then one more from chapter 9, again from the message. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Each day is a gift. Sometimes I pray, God, help me to receive this day as a gift from you and everything in it. Just tuning our senses into the daily good gifts that we experience in life under the sun. That's part of the solution. So almost every chapter has this conclusion. And I, I don't think it's cynicism. I don't think it's the, the teacher saying, well, if that's it, then let's just enjoy it. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, there's something, there's something more here. There's something that he's appreciating. That even in life under the sun, God shows up. And we know that because of the good gifts we have. Uh, James 1 and verse 17 reminds us, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change. That's the message. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Or Psalm 103 that we started with this morning. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So how do we remember the creator? We don't forget his benefits. We don't forget his good gifts. And we make the most of them. We receive, we enjoy, 
and we give thanks for the gifts, the good gifts that God gives us. And so in Ecclesiastes, we find him enjoying a good meal. That's legitimate. And when we give thanks, sometimes we just do it as a tagline when we're about to eat. But really what we're doing is we're receiving that meal as a gift from God. Enjoy the good meal. Or when we learn a new skill or gain some more knowledge or do great on a test at school, uh, take that as a gift from God, an opportunity to learn. Uh, When we have a job well done, we receive a promotion or a raise or we receive some affirmation of our work that we do that we don't get paid for, then receive that as as a gift from God. We can think of lots of other things. An unexpected phone call from your son, if you have one. If you don't have one, that could be awkward. But an unexpected phone call from your son, receive it as a gift from God. Um, A text from your daughter. Um, Both my daughters randomly text me with cars that they like. I think it's a hint, but it's not going to work. (laughs) But I love it. I love it. They say, hey, here's my favorite car I just saw driving up the road. And uh, it's great. I receive that as a gift. It's a connection. It's something where we share together, a delight. A Zoom chat with grandkids. Enjoy them all. They're all gifts from God. It's these little things that we often overlook, but they can be signs, they can be gifts from God that we enjoy. Laughter with friends, an opportunity to do good for someone else, a kind word from a stranger, don't overlook them, but rather be in the moment with them. So how do we appreciate these gifts? I'd say, first of all, we need to acknowledge God's goodness in them. We need to acknowledge that these things, which we think are very ordinary sometimes, or we even think maybe they are the product of our hard work, but we need to acknowledge that they are gifts from God and they express God's goodness. So enjoy them, but, and here's the big but, Ecclesiastes says, don't hold on to them too tightly and don't ask too much of them. So enjoy them, but don't grasp at them. Don't chase them. Don't hold on to them too tightly. Don't ask too much of these good gifts. The the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, enjoy your wife, but don't expect her to be your savior, basically. Don't ask too much of these good gifts, but enjoy them. Be in the moment. Wherever you are, just be all there, but understand it's just for a moment because a lot of these things are passing. I remember when the girls were younger and I would show up at the school and we'd be watching a talent show or a play or something like that, I would be so anxious to try and record it along with, you know, 150 other parents. We're all holding up our cell phones, and some people have ridiculously large laptops that they're holding up trying to record these things. And if you look back, all you see is a sea of devices rather than the parents' faces. And uh, sometimes I've been really convicted about that because now I'm watching this moment through a screen Rather than being all there, there's sometimes we just have to be there in the moment. Rather than try and prolong it, rather than try and sustain it, rather than try and capture it or grab a hold of it, just enjoy it. Just be there. And we can do that with all kinds of things. I love it when I'm scrolling through Facebook and I come across uh, Jean Parody, if you're watching today, some of his photography. He goes down to Fish Creek Park and he, he just does amazing things with his camera. Many people do in this congregation. But I pause for a moment and I just enjoy that moment of that photograph. That's a gift from God. That's what the teacher says. Don't let these gifts go unnoticed. 
But here's the key. The gifts are also not the final destination. They will not produce long-term satisfaction. Enjoy them, but don't expect too much of them because they are simply signposts that are meant to point us to the Creator. That's why we enjoy them, because they're reminders of God's presence, of His goodness, of His love, of His grace. Uh, C.S. Lewis, many of you, I hope, will be familiar with that name, Chronicles of Narnia and so much more. Uh, he wrote an interesting book. It's really an autobiography. That it's called uh, Surprised by Joy, and it's the shape of my early life, is what he says. And in that, uh, he says, in a sense, the central story of my life is about an unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. That sounds very complicated, but basically what he's saying is that the central story of his life is he has this unsatisfied desire that drives him on. And that desire is for joy. That's how he spells it out. And so he chases after joy. But just when he catches a glimpse of joy, he suddenly realizes at the end of the book that joy isn't actually the ultimate goal. This is what he says. When we're lost in the woods, the sight of a signpost is a great matter. He who first sees it cries, look, and the whole party gathers around and stares. Can you picture that in your mind? If you're lost in the woods and you suddenly find the directional marker, you find the signpost, you just rejoice, you stare for a moment. But when we have found the road and are passing signposts every few miles, we will not stop and stare. The signposts are appreciated, but they are not the destination. Joy has ceased to be the primary goal. They will encourage us, and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up. But we shall not stop and stare, or not much. Not on this road, though their pillars are of silver and their lettering of gold, we would be at Jerusalem. We want to be at our destination. Did you get that image? That's the gifts of God. We're not meant to just stop and stare forever or stop and be captured in this moment with the gift. But the gifts are meant to be signposts that move us along the journey, that moves us along to God, to the final destination. So how do we begin to make sense of life under the sun? Well, here's how we do it, says the preacher. This is the answer from below. Remember our Creator by appreciating, enjoying, and giving thanks for the simple gifts while remembering that these gifts are not the destination. They're simply the signposts that point us toward God. So here's my challenge for this afternoon. Just think through all the gifts that you've been given. Even, even in times of sadness and sorrow, even in times of pain and conflict, I would challenge you to even write down some of those blessings of God. Just begin to count your blessings, literally, and see that these gifts might point you to the fact that God is still with us, present, loves us, and his goodness is shown to us every single day. Acknowledge them, enjoy them, and give thanks. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day. We receive it as a gift from your hand. Help us to enter into it with the full realization that you are going before us, that you are with us, that you are coming behind us, that you surround us with your grace and your goodness and your love. Even in times that are difficult, 
even in times that are hard. When we look, we can find you. When we search for you with all our heart, we will discover that you are right with us. I pray especially for those today who are feeling that sense of longing, longing for joy, longing for peace. May they find that joy and that peace, but may they be directed to you. We give you thanks for all your gifts in Jesus' name. Amen.